Lead Time is a podcast of the Unite Leadership Collective, hosted by Tim Allman and Jack Kalliberg. Lead Time taps into biblical wisdom for practical solutions to today's burning issues. Each podcast confronts real-time struggles facing the local church in a post-Christian culture. Step into the action with the ULC at uniteleadership.org. This is Lead Time. Welcome to Lead Time, everybody. I'm Jack Kalliberg. I'm here with Tim Allman. We're with the Unite Leadership Collective. Today, we are going to be talking about the fourth part of our uh, church engagement series. The topic is Growing Disciples. Um, Before we get into that, though, we've got a few announcements. If you like the content that we're providing, we uh, we really ask you to uh, subscribe to our podcast. and to our newsletter. Like and share us on social media, wherever you're following us on social media. And then also one more thing, please save the date. We have a new uh, accelerator that we're giving to the public right now uh, for those churches that want to participate with us. This is going to be happening in November. Uh, The dates are the 14th and 15th. And this accelerator is going to be specifically around the topics of attract, get, and retain. So it's all of the Um, external parts of the church engagement model. So this is going to be a fantastic opportunity for churches that are uh, wanting to grow by reaching people in the community and bringing them into the church. This is specifically uh, our target. Anything to add to that, Tim? Yeah, we had heard that uh, a lot of churches said, wow, a year-long commitment and even a financial commitment, that's a little too much. So this is an opportunity for you just in a low threshold, low commitment, just noon to noon on a Monday and a Tuesday for you to just dip your toes into the church engagement model to come away with some best practices and then uh, be in community with us as we corporately, we're held accountable <laughs> to uh, growing as a community. More and more people need Jesus here, Jack. And so you could, yeah, dip your toes in, just join us for those two days. Maybe you're here in the Southwest and you and your team, this is best with a team. This is not just for pastors. This is bring two or three of your teammates mm-hmm. alongside. Uh, many of you, maybe even non-paid leaders, could be an elder, a board member, a president within your congregation, come and uh, develop some of those attract, get, retain strategies. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. All right. So, on to uh, growing disciples. Remember, this is part four of our five-part series uh, the five jobs of the of the church in the engagement model are attract, get, retain, grow, disciple, and then uh, fifth is multiply. We're talking about uh, growing disciples, and we're talking about engagement. And so just something to think about as we're talk, talking through this topic, the definition of engagement is interacting with people in exchange for value. So hmm. people will move, people will interact because what you're offering them is something valuable for them to do that. So that's the kind of the mindset that we have to have as we're moving through all of these different jobs. What is the value that you're giving the person? Oftentimes, we're tempted to just think exclusively of like, what is the value from the perspective of the the church leader, the pastor, the staff, the executive team? They're looking for what the value is, but you actually have to flip things around and put it in, in their shoes, the people that you're engaging with, and say, what is the value for them? So the key thing to know is when you're in this phase the person is moving from a um, consumer into kind of a, a mindset, a spiritual maturity, a personal maturity of um, a contributor. We're moving more to the contributor phase. And the key thing that they're thinking is, I want to grow. So earlier on in the engagement model is, 
I want to learn more. I want to try it out. I want to connect, right? Now it's, I want to grow. We've already established all of the connection and all the relation, and they're growing in this phase of, of, of discipleship. So um, let's talk a little bit about kind of our history of working on discipleship, uh, specifically in our, in our context of uh, Christ Greenfield. We went through a period of time where we went heavy, heavy, heavy into simple church. You want to talk a little bit about that experience, uh, Tim, from your perspective, what that was like? Yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, it's good. We had a lot of things that we were inviting people into, and we realized that uh, to be unclear is to be unkind. And uh, so we needed to narrow our focus to provide clarity for God's people to take their appropriate next steps. And I think a lot of churches, Jack, are living with, man, let this shotgun approach. We're going to do all sorts of different things uh, to try to hit all different markets. We're going to have, we're going to say yes to the, which I did, the quilters, and <laughs> we're going to say yes to all of the, and I, I definitely don't want to tell anybody no. That's hard. Uh, especially, especially if things have been going on right. for multiple decades, you yeah. got a lot of personal ministries that people are doing. And so we, as a team, we, we chose the, the hard road of narrowing and clarifying and, it it was it was hard, but man, the journey was definitely worth it. I I agree. So there is a, a fascinating study, and we've talked about this in multiple settings. Uh, it's the famous Jam study, right? So and this study was conducted, and it completely turned sort of the concept of con- customer engagement and, um, on its head. What does it mean to actually engage with people and to attract people and to get, you know, let's let's say in the business world, convert them into a customer? And the prevailing wisdom at the time was the more choices you give people, the more likely they are to engage, the more likely they are to buy your service or your product or get involved in your club or, or whatever that is. More choices means more engagement. And we offered a ton of choices, like just I remember we we put together a book <laughs> of all the different mm-hmm. ministry choices that people had. And honestly, I think most people on staff would never be capable of recalling all of the things that were on that list. It was just it was just uh, hard to even fathom in your mind all of that. I like to think of it as the Chinese uh, menu. If you've ever been to like the, the classic, you know, going back as a kid, going to the Chinese restaurant and there's, this, you know, items one through 160 on the menu. <laughs> And how do I know it's a good choice, right? So they they yeah. conducted this famous study about. Um, we're in our main classroom. And we're getting a, a whole ministry announcement fire. right now from and our so principal. It is just practice. This is a drill. So is there a fire drill that's about to happen right now? Listen to the directions oh boy. from your teacher <laughs> as how we will do that's our job. Thank you. We're gonna have to edit Maybe this in post. <laughs> hearing, yeah, exactly. There may be a fire drill coming. Um, all right, keep going. So, so yeah, the study, they, they said, okay, is more choices, more customer engagement. And they, they did an experiment. They said, okay, we're going to create a booth with jam that people can sample. And we're going to see if people buy more or less based on how many choices we give. So for several weeks, they offered six choices, six flavors that people could try. And the other several weeks, they offered 24. So significantly more. So here's an interesting thing about the findings. The booth that offered more flavors actually was more novel. Like it got more people to come and check out the booth. 
but it also reduced in a dramatically smaller percentage of people that actually decided to purchase jam. Isn't that interesting? So it's more novel, but the amount of choice that people had was a barrier for people to actually make a decision and actually commit to, I'm going to buy this thing. And here's actually the statistics. So for the 24 uh, jam flavors offered, you had 60% of the shoppers attracted to that booth. And when they offered six flavors, you had 40% attracted. But this is interesting. When you had 24 flavors, only 3% of the shoppers purchased jam. And when you offered six flavors, 30% purchased the jam. Isn't that interesting? So you had 10 times the engagement for people that came and checked out the flavors of jam when you narrowed down the choices for people. Why do you think that is? Why, why does too many choices create a barrier for people? It's decision fatigue. I think you talk about novel, Jack, and I'm, I'm, I'll apply it to the church right now. You enter in and you're like, I, I don't know. I see all these different ministries. I have, I don't have the time. People are busy today. I don't have the time to like go and check out all of these things to try and find the perfect one for me. And so it, it sounds great. Good for you guys that you're evidently busy doing a lot of things, but it's not very attractive for me to, to take my take my next step. I don't know that people would articulate it like that. I think subconsciously, though, that's what we're kind of thinking. There's yeah. a lot too much. Yeah, absolutely. So now think about this in the context of church discipleship. Somebody is now is connected and they want to grow and you want to offer that person a next step. And you say, great, I'm so glad you want to take your next step. Here's 200 choices of things that you could do to take your next step. How can anybody feel confident that they're picking the right next step for them when you do that? There's no way. I can't know that I'm picking the right thing off the menu if there's 200 choices on the menu. How can I know that they make 200 good things, (laughs) right? I can be confident that they can make five really great meals. And if there's only five, I can pick one of those and say, man, this must be great if this is the only five that they offer, right? And the same thing is true with discipleship. So this is what they call the principle. If you go to a simple church, this is the principle of clarity. You narrow things down so that in people's minds, it's very clear. There's a small number of next steps that are, are right, the right fit for me to do to in order to grow. And so at Christ Greenfield, the three things that we offered was small groups, worship, and serving. That's it. Those, th- those are the three things. Those are the three ways that we grow disciples at, uh, at Christ Greenfield. And it's very simple and it's very easy for everybody to understand and rattle that off the top of their head. If your members in your church can't, from memory, very easily tell you what your discipleship activities are, then it's too complex. You have created a barrier for them. They don't know what to do because you've made things too complex for them. The next principle is movement. And so uh, churches that do a great job at discipleship, they put more focus on moving people than they do um, noses and and butts in the seat, right? So it's not about counting people that happen to show up for something. It's actually how are they moving to next steps? And this is kind of the key way that they would start to rethink the dashboards that they would use and actually measure the success of staff. And I like this analogy that they give. They say, you're not... um, you're not a travel agent, you're a tour guide. You're helping somebody, like a, a travel agent just says, here it is, go sign up for it and do it. The, tra- the travel, the tour guide says, let's go together to get to this destination, right? So this is the way of rethinking that. It, the, also, the way of thinking of it is that staff 
and key leaders, they're on a relay race. They're handing the baton to another person so that other person is able to um, move them into their next phase of discipleship. So the, the people that are leading the program, they're working together to do these really great handoffs. So we got clarity, we have movement, and then alignment. Third, alignment. Alignment. This is where we start to think strategically in the church. Is the church, and this is this is the hard part, when we start to say we've got a menu of 200 things, well, really, maybe the menu should be three to five things, and all of these things are just kind of a different variant of that so that you can start to create clarity of it. Maybe the 200 things that you're offered hundred of those are just different types of small groups. And so you just say, hey, we got small groups. And in that small group, there's probably something that fits well for you. But key thing is thinking about small groups, right? Um, this is what it means to align. So then everything ultimately is aligning. And then we move kind of to the final step, which is the difficult step, which is to say we're going to focus, which is we're going to release. We're going to delegate. We're going to outsource (laughs) the things that actually don't apply to discipleship in the local church. There may be good things. They may be meaningful to people, but they're not specifically discipleship related in the way that you've defined it in the local church. And so one of the key examples is when we talked about serving, like there's a lot of great ways that people can serve, but a lot of those things are not church service. So if you're going to go serve in a hospital and help people with their broken legs and stuff like that, that's a wonderful. We'd love to release that to you as a personal ministry. Meanwhile, the church is going to be investing resources and leadership into things that we know uh, invite people in, into a discipleship. It's it's faith-related. That People are growing in their relationship with Christ. Anything to add to that, Tim? Yeah, I mean, personal ministries are wonderful. Absolutely. And- releasing people to say, hey, God has placed this on my heart. And and this is where it's hard. Unless the church leaders and and what they mean is the pastor, unless Mm -hmm. the pastor kind of personally promotes my ministry, I'm not significant. And it's like, no, you're all the body of Christ. You all are uniquely gifted. You have respective contexts and, and passions. And because we're not necessarily promoting it, we're releasing you uh, to go after your your personal your personal ministry, uh, a comfort dog ministry. That'd be a great yes, personal ministry. Absolutely. You're connected to care, you're connected to to what we call we care, and so you're going to be the one who takes care of that comfort dog that partners with that that visitation group. But 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 it's not something that we have to promote because we just personally we cannot promote even 10, 15 kind of personal ministries. Right. Um, it just, it, it steals alignment and it steals focus. Now you might share stories of personal ministry just to sure. emphasize the value of what Christians do in society because Christians are serving all over the place. People should be serving exactly. their neighbors. Uh, we've got a neighbor right now, um, a lady's passing. She's in her final days because of cancer. And my wife, God bless her heart. She's there almost every single day seeing what can we do to help the needs? Is it a meal? Is it a ride? You know, this is, this is not necessarily a church ministry. This is a a personal ministry that she's inspired to do because of her faith and her love for her neighbor. Um, So what was frustrating Jack about um, the grow element is that before we had the church engagement model, we realized that there was a lot of things that came before and after uh, church engagement. So let's talk about, Meeting felt needs as an onboard into discipleship. Yeah, so a lot of this has already addressed in, in some of the other uh, sessions that we did about track get retain. But the key thing to know is that felt needs don't just end 
as you get into the into the grow and, and disciple phase of engagement model. When they want to grow, yes, they do want to grow spiritually. They want to grow theologically, but they're still hoping that the church is investing in them in the felt needs of their every sing, of, of their of their everyday life. Right, so there's a couple different resources that the church should be looking at. Um, the first we're going to talk about is the six domains of human flourishing. And if somebody wants to look that up online, I'll just give you a real quick reference to that. This is actually created by Harvard University. This is the Human Flourishing Program, and they've created six domains that they say is is the way that you can measure whether or not a person is functioning happy and healthy in society. And if the church can meet those needs, both on both on the attract side, but also in the discipleship and growth side, you're going to have much more likelihood that people are actually going to take a next step. So if small groups, you know, if you invite somebody to small groups, you have to be able to explain the why and the what. What are you getting out of it? Right. So, yes, there is Christian fellowship. Yes, there is Bible study and you're getting to have time in the word. And that's super valuable. But are there other things that a person can experience? So, for example, from the Flourishing Project, um, meaning and purpose. Like, do you do you intentionally provide opportunity to learn that in small groups? Um, close social relationships. Duh, that's absolutely a win. But uh, what about financial and uh, material stability? Are you, is there a way for a person to, to um, grow in their job, in their vocation, uh, become a better leader uh, in, the, in, their, in their personal chosen vocation and get some tips that are being provided through these discipleship programs? <laughs> Mental and physical health, right? This is starting to become a big issue. And so what's cool is um, we kind of cross-referenced that with some of the four biggest felt needs that have been uh, conducted or discovered by Unsurfaced by Glue and Barna. And the four big felt needs that they found is marriage, relationships. So think marriage and relationships. Yep. Mental health. Gosh, I wonder why mental health is becoming such a, a big issue lately. Uh, shut down the entire country <laughs> and isolate people. Whoa. And then also you see declining faith, which leads to more existential crisis in people. And yes, mental health issues are going through the roof. So this leader's. This is one thing I want you to think about. Mental health is going to become a really, really, really important felt need for the church to be addressing. 80% of people will look to a religious institution for help with mental health before they go and see a psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. Something to know about. Leadership development. Now, this can be leadership development as a church ministry, but this is also leadership development. How can I be a better boss in the office if I'm an accountant, right? How can I... How can I um, how can I grow in my career and show that I'm capable of exercising better influence in the workplace? And people are asking these questions. Um, these, these are skills that need to be taught. And the church is a really fantastic place, especially if it's raising up leaders to serve in the church, um, which is super important. Every church should be investing in this. If you're investing in this, you also now have developed expertise that you can give away to the community for people to grow in their career. And then the other is parenting. So uh, hopefully, as a church, um, things are going to vary depending on you know where you're located. This is not necessarily going to be true for a church located in Sun City, where it's entirely a retirement community. But in, in a community like Gilbert and many other um, suburbs that are growing, um, your key demographic is families with kids. And they desperately need wisdom and guidance on how to better parent their kids. I am just now moving into the phase of parenting a teen 
I'm one year into that. I got um, my kids, uh, my one kid is a sophomore in high school, and I have learned it is really, really different parenting teenagers than it is parenting a grade schooler. Um, I know you've had similar experiences like that with your with your oldest going into oh, high school. Absolutely, <clears throat> different seasons. So, leader, as you're listening to this, you're like, oh, where where do felt needs hit? Well, it hits. You can offer classes that lead up into small groups, so they're like small group incubators that you can offer on a rotational basis. But then, as you're starting to disciple your small group leaders. You're giving them content, giving them resources. Uh, either you're creating those resources or you're partnering with groups like Right Now Media to offer wonderful studies around these topics because you know marriage, mental health, leadership, parenting, uh, deeper connection, physical health. You know these are all the felt needs. So you can kind of strategically steer your leaders uh, towards studies that will help in those areas of felt need. But again, the overall umbrella is is this, as you're talking about it, you, you should be in a small group, be in a small Absolutely. group, be in a small group. We're not creating all these different ministries to meet these felt needs. It's, We're it's bringing uh, the ministry to that environment. Right. Exactly. And, and then worship. So simple church, if you're going to get right down to it in the grow section, Every church pretty much has the exact, you don't need to reinvent the wheel here. No. There's really three uh, good learning comes in triads, actually. There's a lot of deep social study on, on like we can, the human brain can comprehend three things very easily. So some semblance of worship, some people say connect. We get specific with the noun small group and then and then serve, give your life away. So worship small group, serve. That's about, I would say 90% of the simple churches somehow articulate their simple uh, discipleship journey like that. And when you start to think like, okay, if that's what we're doing, how do we do that for couples with kids? How do we do that for children? How do we do that for teens? How do we do that for seniors? Right. Are we providing the right environments where they just feel lit up and motivated to do that? And oftentimes you're going to find that the environment is very different um, for each of these demographics. And so I know exactly. right now we're entering into a lot of discussions. How can we be even more intentional for parents in a certain phase of life where they've got teenagers, let's say, or junior high kids, and their entire life is revolving around the busyness of their kids? You have to think right. very strategically about that. Exactly. Thanks for this, Jack. That was awesome conversation on Grow. Next week, we're talking Multiply, right? That's right. Looking forward right. to it. Friends, so we hope you enjoyed this episode. Stay tuned for the next one. The next episode will be on Multiply and leadership development. Remember to like and subscribe, and God bless. Peace. You've been listening to Lead Time, a podcast of the Unite Leadership Collective. The ULC consults and brings together cohorts of congregations to build the culture, systems, and structures of intentional discipleship multiplication. To go deeper with us, create a free login on uniteleadership.org for access to exclusive materials and resources. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for next week's episode.